In therapy, radically genuine is reached when one is being truly authentic, communicating freely and openly as equals. The Radically Genuine podcast strives to do just that. We will question areas of mental health, culture, societal norms, and what is truly needed to improve the lives of others. Dr. Roger McFillin is a clinical psychologist and board certified in behavioral and cognitive psychology. He is the executive director of the Center for Integrated Behavioral Health in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Think differently. Sometimes a novel approach can result in a profound outcome. In fact, it forces you to step back and ask if everything you have learned is wrong. On today's podcast, we welcome Dr. Chris Palmer to discuss the ketogenic diet and pursuing a metabolic approach to understanding our mental health. Welcome to the Radically Genuine Podcast. I want to alert all our listeners to new social media. If you want to check us out on Instagram, we are at RadGenPod. We're even on TikTok now, at RadGenPod. If you want to email us, we're RadGenPodcast at gmail.com. One of the themes, fellas, of our, of our program has been talking about kind of innovative treatments and where we need to evolve in the mental health field. Certainly, I think we're all humbled by the, some of the poor outcomes that exist. And as we look at some of the data, we're, we're seeing that a lot of what are considered empirically validated treatments don't help a lot of people. We've wanted to expand this conversation to include all the many lifestyle factors that exist in living well. And we've been really sending out a, uh, a call for the medical profession to be able to expand our understanding of how mental health uh, progresses itself and how it interacts with so many different factors from nutrition to sun exposure to metabolic health. We are lucky enough to have a pioneer in this area, somebody who's been studying and researching the intersection between metabolic health and psychiatric presentations for what amounts to close to 15 years, even prior to ketogenic diets and uh, low-carb community really exploding. I want to welcome to the podcast Dr. Chris Palmer, who's currently the Director of the Department of Postgraduate and Continuing Education at McLean Hospital and an Assistant Professor of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. He's also double board certified in psychiatry and neurology. Welcome to the Radically Genuine Podcast, Dr. Palmer. Thank you for having me, Dr. McPhillip. <laughs> Welcome. So, Dr. Palmer, I think what's uh, I think what's most important to us is to to understand a little bit about your story. You really do stand out in in your field from what is uh, typical in the the treatment of of mental illness. Can you tell us a little bit about your your background and how you got to this place in your career? Yeah, it's a long story. But uh, the, the short version, um, so I have been at McLean Hospital, Harvard Medical School for over 25 years. Um, in many ways, uh, I think a lot of people would see me as a very traditional psychiatrist. I lead their educational programming. Um, so I organize and host uh, and moderate conferences um, on a wide variety of mental health topics. Um, using a wide variety of traditional psychiatric treatments. Uh, and I've been doing that for over 20 years. 
Uh, I've been involved in all levels of psychiatric education, Harvard medical students, residents, uh, and you know, professionals from all around the world. Uh, I've also done psychiatric research uh, for you know over 20 years. Uh, um, for a long time, I was doing neuroscience research uh, in the fields of addiction and sleep medicine, uh, and most recently, I've turned my attention to the intersection of um, mental health and metabolism broadly, and more specifically, the ketogenic diet. Um, and you know the, that <clears throat> that area of interest was, you know, very serendipitous for me. Uh, Turns out we have a, a rigorous academic and scientific um, database to draw upon, you know, 100 years of clinical and neuroscience research uh, documenting the effectiveness of the ketogenic diet for brain disorders, but quite serious brain disorders, epilepsy among, you know, particularly. Um, but uh, I didn't know about that. I was never taught about that. So I stumbled upon it. Uh, and I stumbled upon it first through my own experience of, you know, 20, over 20 years ago, using a uh, ketogenic low carbohydrate diet to improve my own metabolic health. Because when I was in my 20s, I already had metabolic syndrome. I was doing all the dietary guidelines, eating a nice, healthy, low fat diet. I was exercising regularly. The lower the fat, the better. So I was doing it and my health was going down the toilet fast mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> blood pressure was going up and triglycerides were sky high and HDL was low and had prediabetes and everything else. And uh, really out of frustration and as a last ditch effort uh, after my primary care doctor kept trying to push pills on me and I kept refusing. Uh, um, I decided to try the Atkins diet at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, because I'd heard through the rumor mill that somehow it was working mir miraculous results for some people, it was complete heresy at the time. And when I really started, when I started it, I actually, it was really just a Hail Mary pass. I was like, this is not going to work. Um, there's no way in hell eating eggs every morning is going to help my metabolic syndrome. Um, but in fact, it did. Within three months, everything got better. But the, one of the things that was shocking to me was I noticed dramatic, Im, dramatic effects on my mood, energy level, confidence level, sleep, other things. And uh, so I, I waited a couple of years, saw similar effects in friends and family members. Um, and uh, within a couple of years, I started using it in patients with treatment-resistant depression. Um, and lo and behold, it was working for some of them. It, it was not working for 100%, but a lot of people weren't able to do the diet or stick with the diet. Um, and I was just learning how to coach and mentor people and educate people on, you know, all the strategies to be able to do it. But it worked. And uh, everything kind of, I, I laid low with all of that. I was doing my traditional Harvard teaching. I was doing my research. I, was, I, I laid low because the ketogenic diet back then was quackery it was quackery and uh i did not want to lose my license i didn't want to lose my job i so i just laid low and helped the patients in front of me uh in the ways that i could uh, all of them were treatment resistant patients i certainly wasn't using this as a first line treatment but um so they had already tried 
dozens of medications, ECT, TMS, uh, years of psychotherapy, um, and nothing was working for them. So I kind of figured, well, what the hell, why not? At that point in time, I still didn't know about its use in epilepsy. Um, so I just figured, oh, this diet seems to help people's mood. Gosh, why not try it? Um, and uh, that everything changed for me. About it was about six, seven years ago now that I, uh, you know, used the diet to help one of my longstanding patients with schizoaffective disorder lose weight. He wanted to lose weight. Um, he had treatment resistance. Um, you know, schizoaffective disorder, which is crossed between schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. Uh, he was tormented by his illness, um, plagued by hallucinations and delusions throughout the day, every day. He could barely leave home. He was convinced that people were conspiring against him, that people were trying to kill him, that uh, these wealthy families had technology. They could beam thoughts into his head. They could control what other people thought about him. Uh, and for whatever reason, he had been targeted and they set out to ruin his life and torture him. Those were his firm beliefs for over a, you know, over a decade. And uh, despite numerous medication trials, they, those beliefs and those tormenting symptoms persisted for him. But he said, gosh, I'd like to lose some weight. I'm such, you know, he, he was just down on himself all the time. There's no hope for me or my life. But maybe if I lost some weight, it would at least be a step in the right direction. So I was like, okay, let's try the, he had already tried some other weight loss methods. Um, so we're like, okay, let's try the ketogenic diet. And within two weeks, he's losing weight. But I noticed this antidepressant effect initially. And, uh, and, and I, was, I wasn't shocked, I was a little surprised because it was a pretty striking antidepressant effect in him. Um, but, but I wasn't completely shocked because I'd seen this antidepressant effect. Um, and he's still having his hallucinations and delusions, of course. Uh, but about six to eight weeks in, that's when my jaw is dropping because he starts telling me, you know, those voices that I hear all the time, they're going away. Wow. Wow. You, know, you know how I had those thoughts that there were these families conspiring against. I'm like, yeah, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> how, how many thousands of times have we talked about that? Um, uh, and he's like, you know what? I, that, I don't think that's true. I, I, think, I think maybe that wasn't really happening and it's not happening. And it sounds kind of crazy now that I say it. And, uh, um, and he actually said, I think maybe... I've had schizophrenia all along and maybe it's going away. Fascinating. So uh, let's assume that some of our listeners right now have no idea what a ketogenic diet is. I know you mentioned Atkins. Can you tell us what is a ketogenic diet and what do you think is happening metabolically? What are some of the mechanisms of action here within this diet that could have such a profound response? So it's a great question. And um, although if you search on the internet, you're going to get hundreds of different answers. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the biggest point that I want to make is that there are lots of different versions of low carbohydrate and ketogenic diets. 
And lots of people think they know what a ketogenic diet is. And I think they're trying to do good work and just spread the word, but they're not informing people that there are many different versions of a ketogenic diet. So the Atkins diet is, is the well-known kind of uh, weight loss diet that is primarily focused on just lower your carbohydrates. That's it. Just lower your carbohydrates. You know, when you start out less than 20 grams of carbs, and everything else is just fair game. You can eat as much protein as you want. You can eat as much fat as you want. It, none of that matters. Just lower your carbs and you'll be good. Um, and for a lot of people, that approach actually works well. Uh, and they can, they can do that. They, they don't have to pay attention to anything else. They don't have to count calories. They don't have to worry about protein, fat, or anything else. They just need to lower their carbs and they'll be good. Um, and they will get into ketosis, which is the definition of a ketogenic diet. The product, you know, I, I, broad definition would be any diet that induces your body to use fat as a fuel source. But there are varying degrees of ketosis that you can be in very mild trace ketosis, which means you're burning a little bit of fat. You can be in very high levels of ketosis, which means that your body and brain are fueling primarily on fat and ketones. Um, so the, the real ketogenic diet, at least the one that was, when that term was first used, was developed 100 years, 101 years ago now, um, 1921, uh, by a physician specifically for the treatment of epilepsy. Um, and uh, uh, that diet is essentially very low in carbohydrates. It is moderate in protein. It's not an all-you-can-eat protein fest. And it is very high in fat. And the whole point is to trick your body into thinking that it is fasting when it is not. I'll stop there. <laughs> sure. This is really important. I, I know these guys also have questions for you, but I am somewhat adherent to a, a ketogenic lifestyle. I, I would say that I'm uh, majority low carb with some flexibility. I, I think that there's some benefit to being metabolically flexible. So I, I want to go in and out of uh, a ketosis. And so I adhere, to, I adhere to a diet that's probably best described as carnivore diet. But um, from your perspective, are there specific foods that you're recommending when you're providing this treatment? I know that there's you have a book that's coming out and I'm fascinated to read it. But this idea, is there certain foods that are just going to be kind of superfoods for our brain in a lot of ways that might be able to, to help people who've been chronically suffering? So it's a, it's a great question. And it's, it's, I think it's one of the biggest areas of controversy in this field, depending on who you listen to and what experts you listen to. So I actually don't think there's any specific food that people absolutely need to eat in order to be healthy. Um, I do think that there are a lot of foods, processed foods, man-made food, uh, you know, modern man foods uh, that are very high in, um, you know, uh, refined carbohydrates, sugars, uh, and also some types of fats. Um, uh, trans fats are an obvious example, but those have actually been banned in the United States now, but those are extremely toxic to human health. Um, and I know there's a lot of debate and controversy about seed oils and other types of fats. And some, some fats might be bad for us and some might, fats might be good. And, you know, the controversies are endless. But I, 
I actually think the state of ketosis is mimicking the fasting state and that that has profound metabolic effects on the human body and brain in and of itself, regardless of what foods you eat in order to get into a ketotic state, or even if you don't eat any food. So you could go completely without food for several days or even a few weeks. Um, and as long as you are overweight and fat and you have fat stores and calories to draw upon, that can sometimes produce some of the beneficial effects that we see from the ketogenic diet. So you're not eating any food. It's the absence of food that's actually producing the benefit. Um, because when you're in a state of ketosis, whether it's from no food or whether it's from eating any, you know, lots of different dietary patterns. So carnivore diet is one version of it, but I know people who've done vegan versions of the ketogenic diet and they can be in a state of ketosis as well. And then there's everything in between. Um, and I think that the state of, you know, obviously you need to worry about nutrient um, deficiencies with the different versions of the diet and both extremes have their own risks. A vegan diet comes with risk for vitamin B12 deficiency, omega-3 fatty acid deficiencies, and some other deficiencies. But carnivore diet comes with its own risks for some vitamin deficiencies of, of vitamins and phytonutrients that are only found in plant-based foods. So, um, so if, if people are really restricting specific food groups or types of foods, they just need to be mindful that they're getting enough macronutrients, protein um, in particular. Uh, so the vegan diet may be deficient in protein, um, but uh, they also need to think about micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, and other things. But, um, but the state of ketosis itself has this profound effect and what it is. So you're tapping into fat stores and if you're overweight or obese, that's a great thing. But, but the diet actually is doing innumerable other things. It's, it's changing your insulin signaling system throughout your body. You've got lower levels of insulin. You have greater insulin sensitivity. It decreases inflammation. It changes the gut microbiome. It changes neurotransmitter systems in your brain. It changes calcium regulation. One of the big things that's really, I think is key is that it actually induces um, mitochondrial biogenesis and mitophagy and autophagy. And so what that means is that your cells actually produce more mitochondria and those mitochondria are healthier, but it also induces this widespread body process called autophagy, which means that when, you're, when, when, you're, when your body thinks that it's fasting, it doesn't just randomly start destroying body parts and using them as fuel sources. It's actually ridiculously precise in which parts and cell parts it destroys for fuel sources. So your body's not only tapping into your fat cells, it actually, every cell in your body starts to hunker down. And what they do is that they actually look for any old or defective proteins or cell parts, and those get destroyed. Those get recycled in these things called lysosomes, and that gets used as a fuel source. 
But the reason that's so powerful is because that means that all of the old and defective cells and cell parts in your body are getting destroyed and recycled. And then when you eat again, obviously you can't fast forever because you starve to death and that's really bad. Or you get an eating disorder that's life-threatening. So, so don't do that. But when you eat again, um, your cells actually go ahead and replace those parts that got destroyed. But guess what? They're brand new, good as new parts. And so it's a way to kind of rejuvenate your entire body and heal parts of your body that might actually be damaged. That's fascinating. And I'm sorry, as you were, you were describing this, it made me think um, back to a period of time. I was a runner for a while and I, am, I did some long distance running and I, I don't think my body is really built to do long distance running. And I was always striving to improve and I stumbled upon the low heart rate training method, which is over a period of time, you go out consistently every morning for 30 minutes and then you increase your time to 60 and then to 90 and you're never running for distance. You're running for time. And the goal is to keep your heart rate below a certain threshold. So you're training your body to start burning fat as a fuel source before carbohydrates and all the things about mitochondria and everything that you're discussing reminds me of what I was reading in those, um, those articles. And I remember over the course of 12 weeks, uh, when I completed it and my body kind of settled into that low heart rate, I felt incredible, the best I ever have in my entire life. And I've always strived to try and get back to that, but it's so hard to commit to it. Is that basically the same system that could be happening in the human body? But maybe I was in a ketosis state and I just didn't even realize it. Thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, no, it sounds exactly like the state that you were in. So um, whether you were inducing that through, you know, there are many ways to induce autophagy, mm -hmm. um, but, but, but the bottom line is that you want to force your cells to be in a relative state of deprivation. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there are two easy ways to do that. One is restrict the nutrients that it's restrict calories or specific types of nutrients that it's, they are getting. And then they, because they are deprived of specific types of nutrients, they will hunker down and start this autophagy process. Or in your case, if you were eating three or more meals a day, it sounds like you were able to do it through exercise. So you, mm -hmm. were, you were burning those calories. Either state will induce this process. And, you know, one of the great things about exercise is that it, it unequivocally has been shown to increase mitochondrial biogenesis and mitophagy. So your mm -hmm. cells, at the end of your training period, your cells had more mitochondria and they were healthier mitochondria. And at the end of the day, that ends up create like repairing metabolism or doing a metabolism reboot, if you will. Mm -hmm. So when your metabolism is somehow defective anywhere in your body, including in your brain, um, uh, if you can do this kind of a reboot, sometimes your metabolism gets back online. Now, obviously, 
something happened to get you into trouble and have high blood pressure or a mental disorder or a metabolic disorder or whatever. Um, and so if you just go back to that same lifestyle, it's probably going to happen again pretty quickly. Um, but, uh, but this reboot can, um, can have powerful effects on the body. I'm curious. And, and as you, as the body goes into ketosis, what, what is the effect that's happening in, in the brain that allows this recovery to happen in these individuals that are suffering from a mental health uh, uh, episode? What, what's, what is, what's the process that's happening? Do we understand? We know more about the effects of the ketogenic diet on the brain than any other dietary intervention. And that's because neurologists and neuroscientists have been studying it. So the ketogenic diet, um, quote unquote, balances neurotransmitters. It does change neurotransmitter activity and um, regulates it and takes it back to a homeostasis, if you will. Um, it, uh, it decreases brain inflammation. Uh, we have a study from the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism in last year demonstrating this directly in alcoholics. Mm -hmm. It decreases brain inflammation. It restores brain metabolism. So that's one of the biggest things for me is that I am very convinced based on decades of research and science, and I am not alone in this assertion, many leading neuroscientists and psychiatrists are all hot on this same path and they've been hot on the same path for decades. Mental symptoms seem to be due to metabolic disturbances in the brain and the ketogenic diet restores healthy metabolism. And it, it does that again, through the processes I just mentioned, calcium regulation, all of these other things. One of the big things is that your brain cells can actually become energy deprived because they have trouble processing glucose as a fuel source. So that term is usually called glucose hypometabolism. And that has been documented in many mental disorders and neurological disorders, including Alzheimer's disease and epilepsy, um, but also many mental disorders like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, chronic depression, and others. And when your brain cells can't, aren't, it can't use glucose effectively as a fuel source. The beauty of the ketogenic diet is that it's providing an alternate fuel source for those struggling brain cells. So those cells aren't dead yet, but they are struggling and they're struggling to function normally and they're struggling to stay alive. And when you give them ketones, ketones can get in in ways that glucose cannot. And so the ketones get in they fuel your mitochondria to function properly, and that allows the cell to function on all cylinders. Um, whereas, uh, you know, in these states of glucose hypometabolism, you know, sometimes the cells are functioning at like 60-70% capacity. Um, and that impacts not only their function, it impacts their ability to, to maintain themselves. In, in reading your research and thoughts, um, you, you did happen upon, because you said, well, I investigated on my own, I believe it was with ketogenics and epilepsy. And there, there was a Cochrane study, I believe, and it had these amazing results. Like it was unbelievable, the results that people were getting from this. I'm just curious as to, it seems to be um, incredible what, what ketogenics can do. Why, why do you think there might be hesitation for people to, you know, to believe this, to believe that a change in diet can actually 
can actually help? So the, the really good news is that I have many leading neuroscientists and psychiatrists who are, who are 100% convinced um, they, be, because of that. Because again, we've got decades of hard, rigorous neuroscience and clinical research. And as you said, we have a Cochrane review, which is the gold standard. So many leading psychiatrists and neuroscientists have published reviews in the medical literature um, documenting why the science adds up to address people's you know, metabolic problems and neurotransmitter imbalances and inflammation and everything else in the brain and why the ketogenic diet is kind of a match made in heaven for many serious mental disorders. The biggest stumbling block for everyone is how the hell do you get somebody to do this diet? So yeah. they all think... If you gave me a normal, healthy person who wanted to lose 30 pounds, but they're like working, they're a professional, they're smart, they're motivated, they're disciplined. Most healthcare professionals on the planet today don't think they could get that person to do any diet and lose 20 pounds and keep it off, let alone a ketogenic diet and lose 20 pounds and keep it off. Because the belief is that these diets are unsustainable. And the, and the reality is that when you look at the research literature of weight loss, we are failing abysmally. It is mm-hmm. the, the, mo- the majority of human beings cannot lose weight and keep it off. They just can't. So most healthcare professionals are just exasperated with now you're going to tell me to use some diet, not, not only with just somebody who needs to lose 20 pounds, but these are schizophrenic patients who weigh 150 pounds too much, and they're smoking cigarettes incessantly, and they're tortured. They can barely show up for their appointments on time. They, they can barely remember to take their pills every day. Um, they can't take care of themselves. They're all disabled. They, their parents or the guardians have to do everything for them. How the hell am I going to get them to do this diet? Mm-hmm. Now, that, that is the sense. That is the pervasive thinking and message out there is, yeah, Chris Palmer, yeah, we get the science. You've convinced us of that. Yeah, okay, science, yeah, but it's not a practical intervention. It's just that you, know, you can now, it doesn't matter how much wonderful science there is, if you can't get people to do it, it's not going to work. And so I am getting chronic, paranoid, schizophrenic patients to do this. I'm getting them to lose 150 pounds and keep it off for seven years and counting. I have published studies of people who've kept it off for 15 plus years and they are doing it. So, so I think the, the medical community needs information. They need encouragement. They need hope. And this is where the, art of the treatment comes in. So there's a science to a treatment and there's an art to a treatment. Um, It's the science and art of the practice of medicine. So the science is easy. Um, Cochrane reviews, neuroscience articles, all that. The science, I can sell that very easily. The art is where 
a lot of your listeners probably, lots of people from the low-carb keto community. That's where all of you come in, is that you can help clinicians help people figure out how to do this diet. How do you go to a restaurant and stay on your diet? How do you how do you go grocery shopping and stay on your diet? How do you deal with friends and family who are shoving bread and and pie and cake in your face and telling you, "Come on, you've been so good. You can have a little." How do you deal with that kind of pressure? And there are strategies, but it's th- th- this isn't science and and we don't have scientific articles on here is this the one and only one strategy that will work in that situation but people need encouragement they need support and i think if we can create a community of you know providers um and just people mm-hmm. uh to 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 support each other that we can really do this it's like a 12-step program for the uh, ketogenic diet where you have a sponsor, somebody who's gone through it. It's like the whole Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, it's, all, it's also interesting. You said like a lot of people, even my wife included, will sit there and they'll say, but you need carbohydrates. You still need, there's that narrative of I need more carbohydrates out there. But Well, here's, here's my thoughts. I mean, we cannot ignore the fact that we have a rise in mental illness that correlates pretty nicely with the rise in obesity in the United States. So to me, there's this association between poor health and then a lot of these symptoms. And right now in our primary care centers, and so Dr. Palmer, I'm just not as optimistic that the wider medical community is really on board with this science or even aware of it because in our communities, about 80% of psychiatric drugs are being provided by primary care care doctors who don't have the specialty that you do and don't spend the time with their patients that I'm sure that you do. So we're in this healthcare model where it's kind of fast food style, you know, that, that comes along with the poor diets in our country, fast food. It's this, this quick uh, diagnosis and prescription drug in our primary care centers where if you talk to many of the doctors, they just feel burned out and they don't know what to do. So the solution to this is somewhat of a revamping of our healthcare uh, system. I'm a behaviorist. I feel like I have all the expertise and skills to be able to get people to do things that are very difficult. You're a psychiatrist who believes in, in this treatment, and therefore you've developed the skills to be able to get your clients to be able to make these profound changes. How do we change the narrative regarding the, the mental health care model in this country? So it's a great question. And uh, I'm, I'm not here to promote my book, but I have to bring up my book because, <laughs> uh, because I have been struggling with that question for over five, six years now. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, I, about five years ago, I started writing a book on the ketogenic diet for psychiatry quickly realized nobody's even going to believe this. And, and they're certainly not going to take it seriously. Um, you know, there's a whole field, nutritional psychiatry. For the most part, clinicians are not taking it seriously. And unfortunately, many people in the community talk about nutritional psychiatry is just let's decrease the rates of obesity in the mentally ill. Well, you know, that's all well and good, but we still have to treat their symptoms. We have to treat their hallucinations and delusions. And as you said, 
we're using medications that actually cause obesity. We're using medications that cause diabetes, that cause these problems. And so it's, it's a losing battle. It is a hopeless battle. If you're going to prescribe four or more metabolically damaging medications to a patient and then expect them to lose weight, that is a hopeless battle. Um, the reason that the medical community is doing what they're doing is because of the narrative. And the narrative right now, if you ask anybody what causes mental illness, the, the majority of answers are going to revolve around two or three things. So the most predominant model among physicians is it is a chemical imbalance. That is what causes mental illness. There's an imbalance of neurotransmitters in the brain, serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine. And therefore, the logical and only treatment is a medication that has a chance of balancing those chemicals. Um, it, the cause is a chemical imbalance. The treatment is a pill that will rebalance those chemicals. That's the most predominant model among physicians. The second most predominant model is it's genetic. Mental disorders, especially serious ones, they run in families. It's genetic. But we haven't been able to find the genes, but it's genetic. We, we're certain of that. It's definitely genetic. And that means you're screwed. That means you are damned, that there is no hope for you. Just like if somebody has Huntington's disease, just like if somebody is born with another horrible genetic problem, we don't have gene therapies yet. So yeah, we're working on it. We're working on it. In the meantime, you just have to suffer. We'll do our best with the palliative medicines that we have. We know that they're abysmal in helping you get better, but we will do our best and try to help you survive. And, and maybe if we're lucky, you'll be the one in a hundred who gets a remission um, or the four in a hundred who get a remission, but most of them don't. And, and we'll just do our best and muddle through. Um, so those two messages lead to medication as the primary treatment. The, you know, as I, as I embarked on this journey, and I just want to remind people, I'm a hardcore, <laughs> trained as a very traditional neuroscientist psychiatrist. If you asked me 10 years ago, do I think a diet could help somebody with schizophrenia? I would have said absolutely not. And I would have been 100% certain of that, or at least I, I'm usually not, I'm, I'm always been skeptical and at least <laughs> a little open-minded. So I, 95, I would have been 95% certain of that. Now, uh, do I, did I, do I know about, you know, vitamin deficiencies? Sure. Do I know about, you know, celiac disease? Sure. Those are, you know, barring those for somebody with your bread and butter schizophrenia, do I think a diet will help that? I would have said absolutely no, no. And anybody who says that is dangerous and a quack. 
um, they are they are dangerous because schizophrenia is a real disorder. It's a serious disorder. It threatens people's lives. Um, people die from schizophrenia, um, and uh, people get incarcerated. They're homeless due to schizophrenia. This is a disabling, serious disorder. And how dare somebody use their quackery to talk about a diet? Um, that's what I would have said. And now I'm not quack talking about <laughs> <laughs> talking talk, talking about diet and. The, the reason, you know, so I came upon this serendipitously. I quickly had just the godsend gift of all of this research from the neuroscience literature to call upon. But as I thought about, I want to write a book. I want to try to change this field. I want people to take this treatment seriously. I ended up going on this ridiculously deep neuroscience dive of how in the hell is the ketogenic diet reversing and even putting into full remission off all medications a disorder like schizophrenia? How does that happen? Mm -hmm. Because it flies in the face of everything that we are being told. It flies in the face of our current paradigm. And what I discovered was that we have an overwhelming amount of evidence, neuroscience evidence, clinical evidence, dec literally over a century of clinical evidence, but um, many decades, over 70 years of basic science, neuroscience research, documenting and demonstrating that mental disorders are metabolic disorders of the brain. And that is the message of my book. And I hope that we can change the paradigm through science and rigor. And for full disclosure, my book is not a quick self-help read. It's just not. So for people who want a quick, easy read on the beach, this is probably not the book. <laughs> um, I'm just going to warn you. If you're looking, if you're just looking for, give me the five things that I need to do to get better, this is not the book for you. But I do give you lots of things that you can do to get better. But they are all supported by rigorous science. And I have to take readers through a deep dive of where we're at in the field, why it is so woefully inadequate, um, all of the questions that plague us, all of the questions that we cannot answer based on the models that we have, the genetic model, the chemical imbalance model, everything else, why those are insufficient. Um, and, and then I have to take people on a, a journey through kind of some of the neuroscience literature and cell biology and how exactly do brain cells work and what could be going wrong in these brain cells to cause these disorders. And then I come out the other end with, oh, aha, here are the solutions. And many of the solutions are things that people already know. Like you got to give up drug and alcohol use. Like most of us know that, but we don't exactly quite know precisely why. And I go down to the cellular level to explain why is it that giving up drugs and alcohol would have beneficial effects for people with psychiatric disorders? Why is it that sleep impairment can trigger so many psychiatric symptoms? Why is it that getting light exposure, why, does that, why is that so helpful all the way down to the cellular level? Um, 
but it also leads obviously to why is it that something like a ketogenic diet or removing certain toxic foods from your diet, why is it that that could actually put into remission a serious disabling chronic mental disorder? And again, the bottom line conclusion is that mental disorders are metabolic disorders of the brain. And once you understand that, we're going to start using treatment approaches similar to what we use for obesity, diabetes, and cardiovascular disease. The brain is the other organ profoundly affected through metabolic problems. So I've been um, criticized at times uh, with quackery for just trying to adopt a more biopsychosocial approach. Although, um, you know, psychiatrists are, are trained from a biopsychosocial perspective, often what is prevailing in our communities is more of a biological reductionist kind of model. And I've been recent research that would suggest if you adopt those two theories or ideas, chemical imbalance or genetic, you're most likely then to externalize the recovery process. It has nothing to do with me. There's nothing that I can do. It's outside of my control. And that in itself is very damaging. So what, what you're talking about in a lot of ways, it's both validating that there are things within you medically that can be targeted. And there's good reason why there might be variability in why one person develops these symptoms versus another. And we have a whole lot of uh, opportunity for further research and scientific investigation. But there's things that you can do right now that can change the way that you feel, whether that in here, we're talking about uh, innovative diets and how to alter your metabolic uh, response. But we've been listening to like Dr. Rhonda Patrick, who I don't know if you've, uh, you know, heard any of her work on some of her podcasts. There's some innovative treatments out there like heat exposure, for example, like increasing through, through sauna use. There's things that happen that are, that certainly are affecting the brain that have therapeutic effects that are outside of the, the mainstream kind of uh, discussion about what is mental health. And so you are, you are a, kind of a, a revolutionary in this, and you've been trained traditionally as a psychiatrist. My question for you is, how are your colleagues responding to your work? And I, and I know that you're really involved in continuing education, and you're a professor uh, at Harvard Medical School, Medical School. How about the next generation of psychiatrists? Is there more of an open mind to these new innovative treatments with, with more attempts to kind of go in this area research-wise? People need accurate scientific information. When they get it, at least from me, I am getting ridiculously positive, enthusiastic, open arms um, kind of receptions. It, uh, so I gave a presentation on metabolism, premature aging, and the ketogenic diet to a group of heart, you know, very traditional psychiatrists. So th these are typically older professionals, average age, definitely older than 45. Um, at a Harvard CME conference, uh, last year. 
And it was three days of talks from some of the lead, world's leading experts in all the different diagnostic categories, talking about all of the different innovative treatments, traditional treatments, all of it. My talk was the highest rated talk of the entire conference. And what I noticed was that people, that the comments were the thing that were just heartwarming for me because so many clinicians said, you know, all the other talks at this conference were great and, you know, they were so helpful and I learned a couple of new things and that was great. But this talk completely changed the way I think about psychiatry. This talk opened up entirely new ways to think about what I'm doing. And people, and I believe, people in the mental health field, it's a rule of thumb, are really genuinely good people. You don't go into the mental health field for glory or fame or money. People with mental disorders are highly stigmatized. The reimbursement in the mental health field sucks. Uh, insurance companies don't want to pay for anything. <laughs> and our patients far too often are not getting better. And that is frustrating as hell for everybody in this field. It is. They keep doing it because they think that's the only tool they are allowed to use or that they have to use. They are desperate for better answers. And I am hopeful that with this book, I can persuade a large number of people to think about a new paradigm. Instead of thinking about chemical imbalances or instead of thinking about mental disorders as genetic disorders, I want people based on rigorous neuroscience, epidemiology, clinical science. I want people to think about mental disorders as metabolic disorders. And if, we, if I can drill that message home, then people are going to say, okay, what does that mean? You've convinced us. Now, what does it mean? What do we do? And and then I say, you know, if somebody comes to you with obesity, diabetes, or cardiovascular disease, what's the first thing you're going to recommend to them? The very first thing you're going to recommend to them is a change in diet. Mm -hmm. That is the primary treatment. You're not going to say, what pill are you on? You're not going to say, well, tell me about your family history. Is this just a genetic obesity? Is this just a genetic cardiovascular disease? Is this just a genetic diabetes? Because those things run in families too. And interestingly, they run in the exact same families that mental disorders run in. <laughs> but, but, but people don't turn to genetics or chemical imbalances as the primary treatment for cardiovascular disease, obesity, or diabetes. They turn to metabolic treatments like diet, exercise, and other lifestyle interventions. But I want to point out, it's not just diet and exercise stress increases your risk for obesity, diabetes, and cardiovascular disease. Oh, guess what else? Stress increases your risk for a mental disorder too. Poor sleep increases your risk for obesity, diabetes, and cardiovascular disease. Oh, guess what else? Poor sleep increases your risk for a mental disorder. So I think that if we can 
so that's what I've aimed to do with my book is use rigorous science to change the paradigm. And once the paradigm's changed, the treatments become obvious. And already I have people coming saying, you know, oh, wait, this ketogenic diet thing, that might really work. And once they understand the neuroscience of the paradigm shift, it's like, oh, this ketogenic diet now makes perfect sense. Whereas before it was quackery. Before in their mind, it was quackery. And once they understand science, it becomes like this ridiculously innovative, ingenious idea. <laughs> so I know we have to sometimes follow the money here. Um, do we have money that's flowing into research? Any uh, clinical trials that exist uh, or are being developed? We do. So the, the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism just did their study on alcohol use disorder. And they are likely going to continue that. And that is led by Nora Volkoff, who is the director of the National Institute of Drug Abuse. Um, so she is a huge champion of the metabolic theory of substance use disorders and, uh, and using metabolic treatments. Um, we have five clinical trials of the ketogenic diet for depression or for bipolar disorder and schizophrenia getting underway now. They are all funded. Um, so uh, five trials getting underway uh, or already underway. Um, I am, you know, working with several philanthropists who are extremely interested in moving this forward. Um, so one of them has already st set up a nonprofit organization uh, and they are giving, you know, uh, you know, last year, I think they gave away like $9 million in terms of research funding. Um, and that will help people get pilot data. Make no mistake, the $9 million doesn't run these like large multi-center international, you know, randomized controlled trials. That gets you pilot data. But that pilot data will then allow researchers to get funding from the government or other sources. But at the end of the day, I am convinced that we need a grassroots movement in the mental health field. And without a grassroots movement, nothing, we're not going to get enough change soon enough. And so that is something that I am calling for in my book. And that is something that I am gearing up for is a grassroots movement. I want people who are sick and tired of the current mental health system, its ineffectiveness, this includes lots of people. It's not just the people suffering from mental disorders. It's all of their family and friends, but it's also the insurance companies. They're sick and tired of paying for ineffective care. It's also the disability system. They're sick and tired of all these people being disabled. It's the employers. They're sick and tired of people taking medical leaves and calling in sick or not being fully productive, efficient workers. Everyone is sick and tired of our current model of mental health, and we need new, innovative ideas that will actually get people better, but we need it based on science and evidence. And I am convinced, I might be wrong, but I am convinced we've got it already, and it is coming out in November. <laughs> well said, Dr. Palmer. I feel obligated to ask the question for, for many of us that might be listening to this, we could say, um, boy, I can put myself into a state of ketosis. If someone is struggling with a mental health episode, let's use bipolar or schizophrenia. I recall when I went into ketosis, there was a period of like a flu 
So is there any increased risks or anything that um, we just want our listening audience to be aware of in terms of like working with their doctor if they're going to try and um, take this approach independently of, of anything else? Any concerns, any increased risk? There are concerns and increased risks. So I think for people with serious mental disorders, um, for people with serious metabolic disorders like diabetes, if you're on medication, so if you take, if you've got diabetes and take medications for it, or if you've got schizophrenia and you're on four medications for that, um, I do think that there are serious risks. And some of the risks are from the ketogenic diet, the, the keto adaptation phase, as you described. Yes. Um, and I have seen some people get worse before they get better. Okay. Um, so that, so in the way that you had the flu, somebody who is already metabolically vulnerable could actually get even worse. And, and that can be unsafe because of the symptoms it produces because mm -hmm. a, dis a disorder like schizophrenia can sometimes be unsafe. Um, when people get really paranoid and they're hallucinating, they can also become agitated. They can sometimes become aggressive. And so that needs to be managed in a safe way. And, uh, but on top of that, the medications might need to be safely adjusted and managed. So antipsychotic medications in particular are going to interfere with ketosis because they are increasing your insulin levels and they are increasing your blood glucose levels independent of whatever you eat. So even if you're eating a ketogenic diet, you may not, you may have trouble getting into ketosis because of the medication. Mm, okay. Great. Thank you for adding that. I think that's really important for our listeners to hear. All right. So, uh, Dr. Palmer, fascinating discussion here. I can't wait for your book to come out. What is the name of your book and when is it going to be released? So the book is called Brain Energy and it comes out November 15th. But if people are listening to this and they want to pre-order it, you can already pre-order it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can get it at all sorts of places. We'll include those links in our uh, episode show summary. So everybody scroll down, click on that button right now. And uh, how, can, how can people find you if they want to learn more about your work? So I've got a website, chrispalmermd.com. Uh, I've got a newsletter that I really don't really keep up with. So if you sign up for my newsletter, don't <laughs> worry, you are definitely not going to get spammed. Um, but if you want to be part of this mental health movement and you want to help create change, I encourage you to sign up. But stay tuned. I'm working with actually some uh, publicists and uh, marketing agencies to really gear up for all this. Dr. Palmer, I'll tell you what. Um, I'm inspired, you know, from someone who's working, you know, on the front lines in this system and working with so many people who, who are suffering to hear uh, an innovative voice, uh, one that's certainly provides an optimistic message about what more we can learn and how people can gain control over their, their health. And of course, many of the symptoms that they experience when you're struggling with a mental health diagnosis, you know, this is a, a powerful podcast, um, and we really encourage anyone who is listening to this to forward it along. Um, this, is, this is one of those podcasts where uh, I'm going to say 99% of, of people who are in this field might not have this knowledge. And there are many people who are suffering and struggling and feel pessimistic themselves, very hopeless, that aren't aware of some of this innovative research and ideas that are, that are occurring within the field. So I think this is a powerful, powerful podcast, and I really appreciate your time. No, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. 
Listening to a podcast may be therapeutic, but it is not therapy. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional. If you are in a crisis or you think you have an emergency, call your doctor or 911. If you are considering suicide, call 1-800-273-TALK to speak with a skilled, trained counselor. If you found this podcast interesting, please share it with a friend, subscribe through your podcast app, and engage with us through our social channels. And if you are concerned about a friend or family member, reach out. The six magic words, I was just thinking about you, may make their day. Thank you for listening.